0: great to see everyone. It's, great. it's a wonderful privilege um, to be speaking to you and bringing to you this um, final um, sermon in our series from the Songs of the Servant from, from Isaiah. It's been wonderful seeing how the Songs of the, Servant, ser, uh, Songs of the Servant point so clearly to Jesus, to his saving death on the cross. And here in Isaiah 55, we have God himself speaking to us, giving us the big summary and application for this whole section of Isaiah on the songs of the servant. And it doesn't come to us in the form of God sort of thundering down with a command or a warning, but amazingly, it comes as an invitation from God himself, an invitation that comes with the greatest warmth to the most undeserving of recipients. Well, I wonder, what was the best invitation that you've ever received? Or maybe the greatest event that you've ever been fortunate enough to get a ticket to? Well, my family and I have been on many Britney Ferries holidays to France. We're all big fans of Britney Ferries. But there's no bigger fan than my son, Henry. (laughs) He's the biggest of all. When Henry was young, he he soaked up all information he could about Britney Ferries. He had a couple, even had a couple of books about Brittany Ferries. He knew everything about their history, about every ship in the fleet. And he, his big dream back then was to be a ship, um, the captain of one of those ships. On one of our um, family holidays on Britannia, one of Henry's favorite ships going from Portsmouth to Saint Malo, um, Henry struck up a conversation with the parser of the ship. Those of you who know Henry can imagine um, him doing that. Um, And in the course of this conversation, the the purser was so impressed by Henry's knowledge of Brittany Ferries and and of that particular ship that um, the next morning, he invited Henry to go up on the bridge. Um, And fortunately for us, the rest of the family were invited to join Henry as well. So we we got to go up on the bridge um, of Britannia, um, there with the captain and the crew as they sailed the ship safely into the port in San Malo. It was really thrilling, especially for Henry, but for all of us, um, what a great experience. Uh, The one disappointment was that we didn't get to actually meet the captain, but understandably so, he was too busy trying to steer the ship and make sure it didn't uh, hit any rocks on the way in. But anyway, I wonder what was the best invitation you've ever had, what's the best event that you've ever been to? Maybe think of that in your mind at the moment and um, think of what made it special. Maybe it was some delicious food that you really enjoyed, beautifully presented. Or maybe it was the company that you were with, because even a simple meal can be just wonderful because of the company that you're with, can't it? Or maybe it was the place or the atmosphere. Maybe it was the joy of the occasion. You know, perhaps your own wedding or the wedding of somebody really special to you that made the event, that that invitation, so special. Well, as we'll see from Isaiah 55, the invitation that comes to us in this passage is infinitely better in every one of those respects than anything we would have ever experienced in this world. In the ESV translations that we have in our church Bibles, you'll see that the word come is repeated four times in verse one. But actually, the first time it comes, it's a different word in the the original Hebrew. And um, I think it's important to to point out. It's not a word that's easily translated. And the the closest I could get to it in sort of modern English is that call um, to introduce the opening of a court of law, hear ye, hear ye. So that's the word that, the first word that starts the chapter, that first come. It's really hear ye, hear ye. Be quiet and listen. Well, everywhere else that that word is used in the Old Testament, apart from here, it usually, it, well, it, almost, it always does, I think, it, in my um, research, it precedes a pronouncement of sorrow or despair, some kind of distress or impending judgment of God. But here, it precedes the best possible news you could ever hear. What follows is one of the greatest gospel invitations, not only in the Old Testament, but maybe in the whole Bible. It's as if God himself has stooped down from his throne in heaven into every town square and cried out, everybody listen up. This is a message of utmost importance. And also, as our first point um, on the talk note says, it's the best invitation ever. Now, in Hebrew, if something, is, um, if something is repeated twice, that gives it a great emphasis. But three times is the greatest possible emphasis that there is. And three times in verse 1, we are urged to come to this banquet. Come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk. God's appeal is urgent and impassioned, isn't it? Now, you might have picked up that great paradox in verse 1 as Ray read it to us just now. He who has no money, come by. And at the end of verse 1, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Well, how can one who has no money buy? And even if we did, I think without price... Can be taken to mean priceless. All the riches in the world couldn't pay for it. But God does say, Buy. There is a price to be paid, but somehow it's free to the one who responds to this gracious invitation to come, buy, and eat without money. Even if you haven't got a penny to your name, come, buy, and eat. Well, how is that? Well, it's only possible because of the suffering servant that this whole section of Isaiah has been pointing us to because he has paid the price. That great substitution that Rich was reminding, of us, uh, reminding us of last week, as Isaiah 53 verse 5 puts it, he was wounded for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we are healed. So the price of admission to this great banquet, this great invitation, is nothing less than the forgiveness of sins. The dress code is the perfect righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that we could never have in ourselves. The sinless Savior... Who died, paying the due penalty for our sin, and having risen, now clothes us in his righteousness. Well, God knows how foolish we are, how prone we are to ignore this invitation, to look for satisfaction in the wrong places. And yet, in his grace, he reasons with us. And that threefold plea to come, buy, and eat is matched with a threefold exhortation in verses two to three. Listen diligently, incline your ear, hear that your soul may live. Look how great the stakes are, that your soul may live. Well, at the beginning of verse two, the comparison is made with all that we strive for apart from God, relationships, careers, possessions, holidays a good education, our reputations. As good as those things may be in themselves, God says of those things, and read with me from the beginning of verse 2, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Well, think back again on the greatest events that you've ever experienced in this life. They're all just a memory now. They may be pleasant memories, but they're gone. They're over. And in stark contrast, at the end of verse three, God says, I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. And this clearly is a reference to God's great promise to David, which we can read in uh, 2 Samuel, chapter seven, verses 12. The 13, I think that's, yeah, coming up on the screens there. So this is God's great promise to David that's being referred to here in Isaiah 55. God says to David, "'When your days are fulfilled "'and you lie down with your fathers, "'I will raise up your offspring after you, "'who shall come from your body, "'and I will establish his kingdom. "'He shall build a house for my name, "'and I will establish the throne of his kingdom.'" forever. In contrast to everything in the world, what's on offer from the creator of the universe is nothing less than life for our souls, a spiritual life that's eternal in God's eternal kingdom under the loving rule of his eternal king, a life that even physical death can't take away and nothing less than God's unfailing everlasting love. Well, we've seen so far how this is the best of all possible invitations. It's from God himself and by his grace. But who is this invitation for? And that's our second point. This is a universal invitation. Not one of us could ever deserve it or earn it, but it's free to whoever would come and receive it. Whoever. It's the best invitation ever. And our second point, the whole world is invited. In verse one, we've already seen that God calls everyone who hungers or thirsts. And surely that includes all of humanity, doesn't it? Even the king in his palace gets hungry or thirsty. But ultimately, this is referring to spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. Again, a universal condition. Whether we respond to this invitation will depend on whether we recognize our great spiritual need. Spiritually speaking, we're like somebody wandering lost in the desert on the verge of dying from thirst. And whether we care to acknowledge it or not, that's the natural condition of all of mankind. And verses 4 to 5 describe how God's promise to David that his descendant would establish an everlasting kingdom is extended out to the nations, to the whole world. Verses 4 and 5 begin with that word, Behold, look, emphasizing how God is going to do something completely surprising, completely beyond human expectation. How God's everlasting covenant His steadfast, sure love for David is for whoever will come to his king. And verse 5 beautifully describes how this gospel invitation is not only being received, but being received eagerly and joyfully throughout the world, even in nations that had yet to exist when God first made this promise to David. Behold, you shall call a nation that you did not know and a nation that did not know you shall run to you. And to this loving, compassionate exhortation from God to those who could never earn or deserve this invitation, this greatest of all invitations, is now added three urgent commands. Three urgent commands that show us how it is that we must respond if we are to receive this invitation. Well, we've probably all received invitations that we've put aside, maybe to wait and see if something better came along, or maybe we're just too busy to reply. But what if you received an invitation to your best friend's wedding? Or maybe the wedding of one of your children or grandchildren? You would respond to that immediately, wouldn't you? If you had other plans, you'd probably cancel them. And this invitation, that we're reading here in Isaiah 55 is from none other than the ruler of the universe. And yet, he knows in his mercy and his compassion, he knows that we're inclined to put this invitation aside. And so God gives us this series of three um, imperatives imperatives in verses six to seven. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Forsake your way, turn to the Lord. And So what does it look like to respond to this invitation? That's our next point. We need to do a U-turn with our whole life. What is called for is a full U-turn, forsaking all else that we might be tempted to put before this invitation. A complete change of direction with our whole lives. Our thoughts and attitudes as well as what we do and say or what we fail to do and fail to say. A complete surrender of our self-rule, a complete submission to God's loving rule. Verse 7. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. And that's true not only for the person who's never done this, but for everyone who would call themselves a Christian here this morning, no matter for how long you've been a Christian, because every day we're fighting with the temptation to go our own way, aren't we? And that's why we have the confession every, every week, because we need to turn back to God, to say sorry to him for having gone our own way and not his way. And why should, why should anyone, why should we, why should anyone do this complete U-turn? Well, as verse seven emphasizes, we're in need of abundant pardon, and God is full of compassion, and he will abundantly pardon. So we've seen so far, this is the best invitation ever. And it's an invitation to the whole world to receive this promised salvation. We simply need to turn from living for ourselves and submit to God's loving rule. But how can we be sure? Why do this U turn with our lives? Why forsake all else to do this? And that's our final point. Because everlasting joy is guaranteed. Verse 8 anticipates our doubts um, that we might possibly hesitate to grasp this invitation with both hands and hold on to it with all of our might. So God gives us three reasons. Matching that threefold invitation to come, buy and eat, and that threefold exhortation to listen with great care, God now gives us three great for or because statements, first in verses eight to nine, secondly in verses 10 to 11, and finally in verses 12 to 13. And together, they lay out the most rock solid guarantee that there could ever be. It's based on, first of all, who God is. Secondly, the power and dependability of his word. And greatest of all, God's plan for his name to be glorified for all eternity. In verse 12, we see that the promise is nothing less than peace and joy. And isn't that the deepest longing of all of our hearts? But God first deals with our doubts. our hesitancy hesitancy by reminding us in verses 8 to 9 of who he is, of that infinite gap that exists between us and him, a gap that only he can bridge. God's glorious salvation plan won't make sense to the natural human mind. No human mind could conceive it, but in his grace God has revealed it to us. And So God says in verses 8 to 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Secondly, in verses 10 to 11, God reminds us of the power and the dependability of his word, using this metaphor of the rain and the snow, which give water and therefore life, to all the earth. The point is made that God's word likewise will achieve the purpose for which he sent it. And in the context of this chapter of Isaiah, that means the gathering of a people who will respond to this invitation and receive eternal life. And this is really key. Even as we read this chapter, as we consider this together, this is the very word of God doing its work In this section of Isaiah are some of the clearest prophecies of Jesus' atoning death on the cross and the universal spread of this gospel message. And the mere fact that we have this invitation, and down through the centuries, people around the world have been responding, receiving it. Well, that shows beyond any doubt that God's word is doing what he intended it to do. And without God's word, None of us could be brought to life. But the greatest reason of all that we should forsake all else and receive this invitation, it's the great punchline of the whole Songs of the Servant in this chapter. God is going to ultimately usher in a new creation where pain and suffering and death will be no more. Instead, there will be peace and joy and everlasting satisfaction as God's people delight in and display His glory forever. Just look with me at verse 13, the conclusion of this chapter. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign, that shall not be cut off. But what does it mean for God to pursue his glory, to make a name for himself? Naturally, we'd be suspicious of anyone seeking to make a name for themselves. Who would want, for example, a boss whose main concern was for his own glory? Maybe you've had a boss like that, maybe you've got one now, and you shudder at the thought But as God has already reminded us, his ways are higher than ours. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And his way is to seek the best thing that there is, which is for his name to be glorified and to want us to delight in that too, now and forever. Well, I wanna finish by just taking us to the very end of the Bible, where we can see how this greatest of all invitations is ultimately fulfilled where all of history is headed, so turn to me uh, with me to the next to the last chapter of the Bible to revelation chapter twenty one and here, um, as we read from verse one, we see what god in in Isaiah 55 is ultimately inviting us to the great wedding banquet of Jesus and his bride, the church. So read with me from verses 1 to 4 of Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, What a wonderful promise. What a wonderful eternity that God has in store for his people. And if we turn now to the next page, to the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, and look with me at verse 17, and mark how the words of verse one in Isaiah 55 are echoed here in God's wonderful gospel invitation. Verse 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Well, let's finish with one. I think there's one big application for all of us, and that is don't put off responding to this invitation. Come to Jesus now for eternal life. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't done this already, if you haven't done this before, don't put this invitation aside to respond to another day. Seek the Lord now while he may be found. Well, what about the Christians among us who've done that great U-turn and are genuinely seeking now to live for God? Well, keep coming to Jesus daily. None of us have really fully surrendered our lives to him. And we all need to keep coming back every day, to keep listening to God's word, to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus, on his return, forsaking our ways, learning God's ways, surrendering more fully to God's loving rule under King Jesus, and delighting in who he is as we reach out to others with this great gospel invitation. Well, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, we just cry out to you now that we would respond to this call, that we would be those who go out from here forsaking our ways and coming to the water of life, to Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross of Jesus, for sins forgiven, for your abundant pardon. And please, would you help us to go from here, delighting in this good news, in this great gospel invitation, and being part of your great salvation plan. And please, would you make us your instruments as we go from here to extend this invitation out to all those around us, as you make a name for yourself, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. We ask this for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.